does it take to become successful? And what does our education have to do with it? Welcome back to the podcast that asks the question that every state-educated student dreads. This is What School Did You Go To? presented by the 93% Club. And I'm your host, Sophie Pender. This week, we have a bit of a beanock in the social mobility world, Saeed Atcha. Saeed is the chief executive of Youth Leads UK, which is a charity that works to get the voices of young people heard and acted upon. Saeed is also a deputy lieutenant, a former commissioner on the Social Mobility Commission, a recipient of the Point of Light Awards, and he has an MBE for services to young people and the community in Greater Manchester. Saeed, welcome to the podcast. It's so nice to have you here. It's great to be here. I remember the first time that you and I had a conversation and I remember thinking that you were like a ray of sunshine. And so I obviously <laughs> I obviously thought that I would have to get you on our podcast today. I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I think our conversation was cut short because I had to disappear somewhere. And I was all the way home thinking, I need to email Sophie. I've got about a million <laughs> questions. So I'm great grateful that we're here. I love that. So to kick the podcast off, I'm going to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests, which is... What did you want to be when you were younger and why? Oh, I had about six different things uh, that I wanted to be, wanted to do. I wanted to be an ice cream man. I, I really just liked the idea of that. Um, also wanted to be a police officer because the bill was always on the TV. Um, I wanted to be a bus driver and I wanted to read the news. Yeah, these are all... These are all acts of service for the community, which makes sense that you have gone on to almost take up every single role that you could possibly in in public life. So I want to take things back to the beginning. Hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Yeah. Um, I grew up in and out of the care system. Um, I had quite a an interesting childhood, a difficult childhood, a childhood that actually I think has given me a lot of resilience um, uh, and a childhood where I've been able to, uh, well, it's made me who I am. Um, And so for a large part of of my upbringing, I was in and out of the care system. So when I was really young, I was in foster care. Then I came out of foster care, was back with mum for a few years, and then went back into residential care. And I was a nightmare to deal with. I was a nightmare at school. I can't remember the time, the the number of times I was excluded from primary school. At secondary school, the number was probably double that. I remember sitting in three permanent exclusion meetings uh, at my school, um, and I was I was on the peripheries of criminal justice teams. But that life I never wanted to lead. I, I was leading a life that I didn't want to. Um, and so things changed for me when I was 15, when I was in my final year at high school, where I took it upon my... I just I just thought, there is nobody in your life that will change it apart from you. You have to do something. Uh, and that's when I was in my final year at high school, had an idea to... I was annoyed with the negative press towards young people, wanted to do something. And that's when my, I think, my social action really began. And that's when I set up Youth Leads UK. That's fascinating that you were part of the, I, I guess, part of the community of people that a lot of people would would dismiss as having no prospects mm. if, if you were in and out of sort of the periphery of the criminal justice system. Mm. What was it 
what was it about your upbringing that made you, I guess, act out? And then what was that shock at age 15 that made you realize that you really wanted to do a 180 and change things for yourself? Um, the things that that stood out to me when I look back, I think of three things. I think of people, opportunity, and passion. And the people element, I was really grateful and fortunate to have excellent people guide me. Uh, I think of my social worker and I think of uh, the people at school and even like my health visitor, for example. They were all excellent people and they would always push me to... to... One thing I was was inquisitive. I would mm. always ask questions. I wouldn't always follow orders. I was pretty much against authority all the time. <laughs> um, but that having those those people around me constantly asking me what I can do to be better mm. and trying to find me opportunities and things like that was always really helpful. Um, the moment, I think, that changed things and shifted things was when I went to school um, before school one morning, went to the shop to buy lots of junk food that probably contributed to why I was the way I was because I'd get three energy drinks and two Boost <laughs> chocolate bars. So by break, I was was already on one. Um, and, but, but to the left of me were all the newspapers in the shop. Mm. And that morning, this was 2011, shortly after the riots in London, Manchester, Salford, Birmingham, real headlines describing young people as feral animals, as scum as yobs, as evil, threatening. And I I thought, something isn't right here. And I wanted to see a change. I wanted to see young people leading that change. And I just decided after seeing those headlines, even though I was that tear away, that enough is enough. I want to do something about it and I want to be part of the press. So my idea was to set up a magazine, which was just entirely led by young people. And that was the first thing that we did. Um, what school did you go to? I went to Ladybridge High School in Bolton, which is a, a an interesting school because where it actually is, is in one of the most affluent areas of our town. But the people that go there are not from that area. We're from the kind of outskirt areas. Um, nearly 60% of the kids there are on free school meals. That gives you an idea as to the socioeconomic backgrounds of the pupils. But I think it was a really good school. It was a school that had such visionary leadership at the time. We started when I was in year seven with a new head teacher. So the school had a terrible reputation. It was really bad. It was kind of rival to another school. There was gang wars, all the rest of it. Yeah. And this new head wanted to come in and change, just change the narrative of the school, provide opportunities. And they were very supportive of me. Um, and, you know, I, I, I owe a lot to them. Um, and that's why I went back and, and vice chaired their governing board for four years. Do you think that being in a school, so my school was a, a mixed comprehensive, but I guess slightly different to yours, it was the only school in the area. So basically, mm. it actually wasn't that diverse at all. But everyone who went to that school, the majority of us were eligible for free school meals. Um, you know, we never had parents that went to university. Do you think that being around a group of individuals that, that hadn't necessarily come from, I guess, well-to-do backgrounds gave you a real sense of empathy and personal responsibility for the people around you? I think so, yeah. I think, you know, when you're spending time in that environment and, you know, the environment that I was from and 
it, it shows you what's in the world. It shows you what's out there. Um, you know, and, and you're able to, I think, yeah, it was diverse in the sense that there were people in my class who were, who you, you would maybe not well off, but I'm trying to, and, and this is a lot of assumptions here, but mm. it carried themselves very well in comparison to people like me. Yeah. And you would think that they are probably quite well off, but actually now that we're all grown up and we all know enough, enough about each other that, you know, we're, they were just from a very, very similar background to the, 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 the one I was from. Um, and I think there's beauty in people mixing. I think there's, there's there's beauty in learning from one another, and you know it's it's um yeah. I just think although my upbringing was challenging, the people that I surrounded myself with were important because I was I surrounded myself with the people who were in set one. Yeah. You know I I I, I so I they were my friends um and so i always used to look up to them and you know see how well they were doing and they were getting all the good grades and all the rest of it mm. and i thought i want to do that <laughs> how do i grades. got a clue how to do it yeah they always say that you are an average of the people that you spend your time with yeah you did you go to university did you, you, yeah. you studied your a levels what university yeah. did you go to i went to manchester metropolitan university oh nice and um Within a month, I nearly got kicked out. <laughs> That's good. There's a, there's a real pattern here. <laughs> yes. um, and that was because my attendance was so bad. Mm. Because growing up, uni was never something that I ever thought about. Um, and, and I remember really being at loggerheads with my auntie, and, and she would always push me to go to university. Mm. Uh, and I, I, I never saw the point. I never understood it. My passion was media. I wanted to do media. I wanted to work on the radio, and I thought, I don't need a degree to speak. Yeah. So I'm going to work in radio, and I'm going to talk about things that interest people. And um, I remember she she said to me, no, you will go to university. And I say, yeah, we'll see. Universities are big, great buildings that will stay forever. Opportunities to work doing what I love might not. That was always my argument. It never stood up, so I had to I had to apply for university, and I went. You failed that argument. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't win that one. Um, and then I went to university, nearly got kicked out because my attendance was so bad because I was spending that time presenting on the radio. So, you know, I, I just it loopholes. Yeah, yeah. But I said, look, if I was, if I was just not coming in and there was no reason, or you know, I'm actually working and I have to work in order to pay my way in life. Otherwise, I'm you know I. I'm not going to be effective as a student. Yeah, I studied PR and marketing. If radio doesn't form part of that, then, you know, that was my argument. And I did win that argument, thankfully, and they changed my timetable. It meant I could actually work. So my, oh, you know, my uni experience was, was quite good. And so what did you... So you didn't necessarily get the traditional uni experience because you obviously built it around this yeah. aspiration to be a radio host, which is amazing. What do you think you got out of university that you didn't expect to get? Um, or maybe did you get anything out of uni? Do you actually, in hindsight, do you think that university was the wrong decision for you to have made? I don't think it was the wrong decision. Um, I, I think that I certainly got a lot of career development out of university uh, for for many years of, of my 
10 years of public life, many of those years have been in senior positions. And without university, I don't think I probably would have been able to to, to understand things in the way that I do, the research elements, the, uh, the whole strategic bigger picture, the critical thinking. So I, I think I got a lot of that from university. Mm. Um, granted, I'm, no, I'm not in the PR world now. I, I, you know, I, I, I never entered it. But I use PR in my job all the time as a chief exec. Uh, able to sense check what we're doing as an organization and you know I mentor other people and I advise other people as well where I can so it it definitely was useful Um, because I didn't spend an awful lot of time there I I can't say you know I took away very many great friendships or experiences in that sense because I you know I lived in Bolton uni was in Manchester it's 20 minutes on the train so I didn't I wasn't living at uni or anything like that Mm -hmm. I literally just went in when I needed to go in and I worked every other hour that that I had. Yeah, I mean, you say you, you don't do PR now, but you ha- I know you have people who do the PR for you. <laughs> so that's, that's an interesting experience. You have had an insane career, and we established before we started talking that you and I are actually the same age, which is, <laughs> which is madness, not only to me, but to a lot of people. You are 26, yeah. which is crazy. And you have achieved you've always been sort of one of the first people to achieve things so you were were you the youngest ever social mobility commissioner uh, i think well that we had three young commissioners appointed I, yeah. I can't remember if i was the youngest out of the, all three of us but we were we were the youngest ever public appointments that this country's ever seen and you were the one of the I, i'm guessing you're also probably one of the youngest people to receive an mbe yep. as well yeah. which is crazy. Which I didn't know until it was published in the press. It was exclusive. It was in it was in the metro and it said exclusive. Youngest person to receive an MBE says he feels like an imposter or something like that. And I, <laughs> That's and a good I, and headline. I did, you know I did. Um I had no idea that I was the youngest though. So uh yeah, the journalist kept that from me when they interviewed. And what was that feeling when you when you saw that you'd received an MBE? What what was that feeling like you've gone from you've gone from care lever to going to school nearly being kicked out? going to university nearly being kicked out and then MBE it's almost like a trajectory that people would never expect you have dedicated your life so far to actually trumping that assumption yeah and your whole organization Youth Leads UK is about amplifying the voices of young people who are often underserved and underheard in the community how did you start to chart your career into public service um there wasn't a plan there had never been a plan. Uh, it started with the magazine. Um, I was I, I, I volunteered at, at Youth Leads for uh, until 2017. That's when I became a paid member of, of staff. Um, all the way up until that point, I was working in radio. That was the dream. That was my job. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, but then in 2017, I had a bit of a, a breakdown. Health mm-hmm. was not great. Uh, burnout kicked in. I was doing too many things. I was studying as well, and something had to give, mm. and I had to you know, align the passions in my mind and think which one are you going to take forward, Saeed? And for me, it was Youth Leads UK because I felt like I was making much more of a difference that way um, than talking about you know what Taylor Swift had for her breakfast, which was always I love a good Taylor chat. Swift. You know, that was always, I I I am <laughs> well, I was a Swifty. Um, oh. not, not too sure about the new album though. I think oh, the, I love it. The Reputation album is the best one for me. Oh, um, controversial, okay. <laughs> we'll talk about this offline. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, so radio, sadly, was the thing that I had to give up. Um, 
And then when I said earlier on about people being supportive and people being around you, somebody that I had worked with sent me an email and said, have you heard of the Social Mobility Commission? They are recruiting for commissioners. I think you should you should apply. I hadn't heard of the commission. I had no idea what it was there to do or who had been part of it, or the fact that every single commissioner had resigned en masse, citing oh. that um, the prime minister wasn't interested in social mobility. I didn't know any of that. So I didn't know what I was walking into. Um, and I applied, didn't think I'd get anywhere with the application, and was then invited to interview to then be told at interview that I might not get it because of something I posted on Instagram. Really? Prior when there was, there's a picture on my Instagram. It's not there anymore, but there was a picture on my Instagram. I was in New York and my middle finger was up at Trump Tower. Which, and you wouldn't get the position because of that? Well, you, you uh, can't yeah, represent I mean... the British government with your finger up at the President of the United States. So that, that was the... Um, I got a talking to. Oh, um, did and, you remove the photo? Yes. Is it in the archives? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did actually archive it. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I did actually. I remember thinking, do I get rid of it or do I archive it? But if it does go back into government, <laughs> it is actually deleted. <laughs> well, you can't see it. You know, it's, yeah, it's not there. Yeah. And he's no longer the president of the United States. Thank yeah, you, so you can put it back on now. Well, maybe, yes, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I, and, then I, and then I got the job and um, that just propelled, I think, my public service even more. Mm. I went from that kid in care to walking the corridors of power. Yeah. And that that for me was shit has got serious, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, I, I utterly enjoyed the job. I, I think that three years is too less to, to, to serve a term. I think you need longer to, to actually make a difference. But the decisions we made and the policies that we recommended, we won't know the difference that that makes for a lifetime because social mobility is so difficult to measure. And what was that like for you, walking the corridors of power? Because I think one of the common things that comes up when we talk about social mobility is the idea that these spaces are so so intimidating for people who have entered them for the first time, who may be the only people from that background and I think there's definitely something in the idea of the trailblazers being the loneliest people. So how did you find it? You know, you've become a commissioner, you're young, yeah. you're, you're from a care leaver background. What was that like navigating those corridors of power? One of the biggest mistakes I made was searching Twitter <laughs> after the appointments were released. Oh. Um, and then there was a select committee and the chair of the select committee said, why have you got the great and the good on your commission? to the chair of the commission. Why haven't you got normal people on there? And I thought, wow. So on Twitter, I'm a nobody. Why have you appointed nobody? And to a member of parliament, I'm the great and the good. So I I had no idea what my place was. Um, All I knew is that my job was to raise the voices of people that are underrepresented, particularly care experienced young people, particularly young people from the north, and particularly young people from uh, from underprivileged backgrounds. That was my big thing that I wanted to do as a commissioner, actually have young people influence decisions that are made about them. And, and, and that, was, that was my favourite part of the job, uh, where I was able to meet young people, take their views into number 10, take them into the Cabinet Office. Um, and just as we were getting going, the pandemic happened <laughs> and it all became remote working and that made, you know, made things really, really difficult. And then the political 
uncertainty and upheaval that we had just meant that we couldn't continue. It was it it, it became a very difficult job to do well. So I want to talk to you a bit about care leavers. And I want to talk to you about the idea of social mobility and mm. the conversation around social mobility. Mm. So we know that care leavers are one of the most underserved groups in the conversation around social mobility. They are three times more likely not to be in employment, education and training. And we've spoken about this briefly before and why this is. And I wonder whether there's an element of people feeling comfortable talking about social mobility as long as the conversation isn't uncomfortable for them. Mm. What is it about the idea of care leavers or that conversation that means that people who are from a care leaver background aren't being included in the conversation on social mobility? If you're in the care system, you are massively disadvantaged. Mm. Massively, massively disadvantaged. And that, that is a sad fact. And, you know, I hate being political, but the, the, the complete underinvestment in children's services over the past at least decade has really disadvantaged care experience young people even more. Social workers are leaving the profession in great numbers. Their workloads are through the roof, the stress that they have, and they're not paid anywhere near enough, that, you know, as, as what they should be. And I think a lot of it starts with that. A lot of it starts with, I think, how you get into care in the first place. What are the reasons? The Social Mobility Commission used to be called the Social Mobility and Child Poverty Commission, but child poverty was dropped from it. But actually, that's what we should be focusing on, because if you fix that, you fix a lot of things. So, yeah, I think there are so many reasons why care leavers aren't in the conversation. A, it's not an easy thing to talk about mm. for the care experienced young person and for society. You're cast to one side. I felt that all the time. For a long time, I never wanted to admit that I was care experienced and because of the stigma. You know, I didn't want people to know, you know that I grew up in the care system. And it's interesting when you see people's reaction to it if they don't already know, and I've just been in a really big meeting and then I'll say it at the end or whatever, and they think, oh, goodness, where are you? And yeah. you can almost see that they're, they're trying to add add it up in yeah. their mind. How is he in this room? Yeah. And and that, you know, that is often a frustration. But when you think about care experience, oh gosh, when you think about care experience young people and getting ahead in life, they haven't got the networks. Your network is your net worth, isn't it? it it's it's a fact. Yeah. They haven't got the networks. And, and when you think about very early career opportunities, work experience in year 10. Yeah. You often have to sort it out yourself, don't you? So, or have a parent who will do it for you. Yes. Whereas when you're experiencing, well, when you're care experienced, you more than likely haven't got a parent who's going to sort that for you. And you might add it to the social worker's to-do list, but they've got 65 other children that they need to look after that week. So it starts you know, with simple things like that, that you're not making the progress, and you end up being sat in school for that two weeks that your peers are doing work experience building their own networks and developing the skills that they need. I think that's a large part of it. They haven't got enough careers advice. There's not enough openly care... I mean, I'm probably going to say this wrong. There's not enough 
people in power that are care experienced that talk about the fact that they are care experienced. Yeah. I know of a few who've privately spoken to me who are very senior within the civil service, for example, and you think, God, you have such a great story. You need to bottle that up. You need to speak yeah. to care experienced young people and show them what's possible. But there's still a stigma attached to it, particularly in something as as uh, as institution uh, as the civil service. And you, you can look at the Social Mobility Commission, our final report that we did, navigating the labyrinth. It's still very, you know, there's still great class divides within the civil service, but they're doing a lot to change it. They're doing a massive amount to change it. I think as well, there's an element of, I obviously think about this a lot, in terms of socioeconomic background and what you can and you can't hide. And I think things like being care experienced, growing up on free school meals, you know, having a parent that's an alcoholic, maybe being the subject of domestic violence. These are things that you don't, there are markers, right? You can always, when, when there's a child experiencing it, you can, you can see that. But when you're an adult who has come from it, and you're out the other side, there are sort of internal markers in you that will always affect you, but you can present whatever way you want to present. And it's this weird sort of dichotomy of you're almost living two lives. You're having a conversation with someone presenting in one way and knowing that you've actually lived a completely different thing. And I've always found that when I've spoken about my story or I've spoken to people who have said that they've spoken about their story, there's a huge degree of pity and I, the thing that the thing that always comes is you say, oh, you know, well, this, you know, I'm I'm a care leaver, or my dad passed away, or actually, you know, I, I was in a in a household with domestic violence, and then the people always go, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry about that. And then when I was younger, I used to think, I don't know why you're, did you do it? Like, why are yeah, you why yeah. are you apologizing? And then you always feel like you're a victim, mm. and it's really hard to to be authentic and be yourself and talk about your upbringing also want, not wanting to basically be the subject of someone else's pity. And I think the more that we speak about these subjects, the more that people who go through them won't be the subject of someone's pity, but actually will be, you know, the subject of someone's admiration or actually you can just have a conversation with that person mm. because it's a part of your life, right? Like, you know, you, you, that was still your childhood. You should be able to still reflect and have happy memories, memories of your childhood. And you shouldn't have to not talk about your upbringing just because it's uncomfortable for someone else. Massively. I think, you know, it's you've, we've got to challenge that narrative around care experience, young people and, and young people who face disadvantage. And, you know, because actually, I think the, the complications in life that people like us have faced, I think, makes us better people. You know, we, have, we have had to, we have been forced to look after ourselves. We have been forced to just deal with things. You know, I think you know, sometimes my friends will say to me, how do you manage six million things going on? And I say, I've never known anything different. You know, I've always had to just get on with it. If I didn't, you know, I mean, there are times where you, mental health has been in the gutter, you know. Yeah. Mental health has been such a challenge. But then I just think, well, you've got to get on with it, Saeed. There are bigger things at play here. You have to continue to make a difference. I read once a quote, probably a proverb or something that I read that said, you, you are judged by what you leave behind. And that's what I think about. I think, you know, you are judged by what you leave behind. I need to go out with my head held high. I need to yeah. know that I have made a difference with my life, that my life has purpose. 
And for a large part of my life, it didn't. It mm. didn't have purpose. And when I found it, I was, yeah, super, super pleased. But one of my greatest hopes is that we live in a country where if you are cared for by the state, you're actually at an advantage. That's yeah. how it should be. You've got the full power of the state behind you. Corporate parents, they call it. You know, the, the council is your parent. The council is much bigger than two individuals. Yeah. So why aren't you in a better position? Why, you know, I, I just think we need to have a bit more compassion in the care system, a bit mm. more ambition. In it, but but for that to happen, it's got to be resourced properly. Yeah. I love that. It's it's like schooling, right? It's like, why is, why is it a disadvantage to have the power of the state behind you in a school system as well? That's never, it's never added up in my head. And I know I'm not great at math. Yeah. It's just never, <laughs> never been able well, to. That makes that. a lot of sense to me. And, and the, I guess the, just to, to close off the, the point around your public service, yeah. you're incredibly impassioned by the idea of having young people in the conversation, yeah. whether that be policy, leadership. Yeah. One of the fascinating things that I think that I have witnessed about the, the charity sector, so the, the people that that serve beneficiaries like you, mm. like me, mm. uh, who are all very well-meaning people, there is a real dearth of diversity in senior leadership positions. And you often find that actually the people leading the organisations have never actually had lived experience of the people they're trying to serve. And it's it's a slightly complicated topic, right? Because you should just be thankful that there are talented people out there who want to serve the community. Yes. There's also an element of, do you actually get it? If And if you don't get it, then why are you doing it? What is it about youth voices that you think can change this in the charity sector? Uh, particularly for, for, well, not just for young charities, but for all charities, you have to have beneficiary voice at the heart of what you do. It makes for much better decision-making. You're able to understand the challenges that your beneficiaries are going through. Uh, and, and for young people in particular, they bring a fresh perspective. You know, and, and when you think of, you know, I'm going to use schools as an example. I know they're not charities, but I'm going to use schools and their governing boards. 2% of governing boards are under the age of 30. Wow. The majority of school governors are over the age of 40. So the last time they were in school was over 20 years ago. And I think we can all agree the world's changed a little bit in that time. Yeah, I didn't know that. So where is the intergenerational collaboration? Well, that's what I want to see more of. Mm. It's not about shifting one group out and putting another one in. It's how do we all work together for the greater good and, and to, to serve the people that we are there to serve. That's the biggest thing. But you can only serve those people the best way is if you involve them. And, and that's often a hard thing because organisations don't know how. School governing boards don't know how to get young people involved, where to recruit them. And I think, well, you're a school. Talk to your current pupils because in three or four years' time, they might want to come back and serve as a governor. You might not going to have a young governor tomorrow, but at least in four years' time when you're all retiring, you've got a new board. So, you know, I, I, and it's the same in the charity sector. Youth advisory boards are important to create the pipeline, to support and to nurture uh, the organisation. But I just think, I think from a, a socioeconomic point of view, I don't think there's enough diversity in the charity sector, if I'm honest. 
I think there needs to be. And it, but it can't be at trustee level. Yeah. Because trustees aren't paid. Mm. You need people in paid positions as chief exec or director of partnerships, or director of programs, whatever it is mm. that you've got in your organization who are leading and and are the executive, the day-to-day management of the organization. Yeah. That's the important thing. There's an element of the charity sector sometimes being so badly paid that there's almost a bit of a a double-edged sword, which is like the people who are the ones that we're trying to serve. Actually, it's not good for them to take up a low-paid position in an organization like a charity because they they need so much more money to be able to actually build a life for themselves. And so what you often find is that the people working organizations like charities, it's quite similar to the creative industries Mm -hmm. as well. They can afford to take jobs are slightly more, I guess, low paid because they know that they have something to fall fall, Exactly. Yeah. So I guess we just need to to pay our public servants a bit more. That's also the case, though, with uh, care experience young people and Mm. university. University doesn't give you a guaranteed job. And I think for care experience young people, they need security, they need stability, they haven't got the bank of mum and dad to fall back on, they haven't got often a network of support. They officially leave care at a certain age and it's literally overnight. You are a care experienced young person and then overnight as the clock strikes midnight, you're a care leaver and all your support's gone. Yeah. You know, that's horrendous. You know, it should not it's be traumatizing. You know, you, you have a, a network and then it just disappears. I've never understood how or why it is is like that. And that's why I think because they're not going through university in the in, in the way that, you know, others have and others are fortunate enough to be able to do i think that's why you see a serious vat of of that leadership of care experience young people because there's just not enough of them that's gone through the system to get up to the decision making levels okay so we have our special segment which is called states or privately educated where i'm going to ask you whether the celebrity went to a state school or a private school. I'm not going to be very good at this. I think you're (laughs) going to be very good at this. I think you're going to be very good. Uh, If you win, you win a prize. Okay. Yeah, it's very exciting. pressure's on then. I'm going to ask you to explain why you picked your decision as well. Right. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Ready for the first celeb? Yeah. Your first celeb is Robert Pattinson. Mm. That's quite a slim tie. Very <laughs> well, <laughs> well tailored shirt. I would say private. So you're saying private on the basis of? Uh, yeah, I'm being a stereotype, and I'm stereotyping, but I think it's a really nice suit. It's a nice suit. Yeah. So you think he's well dressed? Yeah. Nothing to do with the fact that he's a vampire. Not, no, that's not coming. Although he's got a <laughs> bit of hair sticking down, so you know, maybe he could have paid a bit more to get his hair done. So that's, yeah, I'm good. No, I'll stick with. Uh, okay, you're going to private school. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you at the end whether you oh, right. it. it's oh, going to be yeah, the big, yeah. bigger wow, reveal. Right, okay. The next celeb we have is the wonderful Idris Elba. Oh. See, I feel like Idris is really a man of the people. He is. Or is he? <sighs> Can he still be, even if? Uh, you, of course, you can still be both. I, I, um, I think <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to get into trouble. Um, no, I, I think. I think state. State school. Yeah. Yeah. Final answer. Yeah. On the basis that he's a man of the people. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, on the just on the basis of 
I don't know. I think what he do, what he does and how he does things and mm. he's very warm, isn't he? He's yeah. very very likable. Not that people who went to private school aren't likable. I'm just going to stop this. One. <laughs> Give me on to the next one. Uh, we have Helen Mirren. Oh, this is a difficult one. It is a difficult one. I love Helen Mirren. That's I good. She's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and your answer doesn't change whether or not you love Helen Mirren. So that's important. Privately educated. Privately educated. Yes. I think she's, she's of a generation where to get ahead in life, I think you had to be. Yeah. She has done very well. Okay. So we're saying privately educated yes. Helen Mirren. Yeah. Okay. And then we have... Joanna Lumley. <laughs> Whenever I'm on a, a a boat anywhere in the world, yeah. I feel like I'm Joanna Lumley. Really? <laughs> Just because of her documentary. You have lovely diamonds <laughs> around your neck as well. <laughs> um, I, 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 again, I think because she's of a similar generation to to, to, to yeah. Helen Mirren, I think privately educated. Yeah, she's got the voice as well. Hasn't yes. she? she has yeah. a very. Yeah. I I love her voice. I actually. could learn a lot from the way she does her documentaries. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. So Private yeah. okay, we'll see if you're right. Okay. Letitia Wright. Oh. Everyone's fave. Yeah. Oh. What do you reckon? That is a tough one. Yeah. Um. See, the difficulty is I've got to give you a reason why. I can't just guess. Mm. Or can that be my reason? If I just guess. You can just guess. Um, yeah, I'm going to guess. Oh. I always think my go-to with actors is that they might be privately educated because I do think it's harder for yes. educated individuals to break into the industry. Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. But I think in this case, I think state. State? Yeah. Okay. You don't really trust your answer there. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give yeah. you the, the reveal here. Okay. Okay, so we first person we had was Robert Pattinson. Mm -hmm. You said private. Yes. He is, of course... Privately educated. Yeah, I got one. He actually went to a to the same school as I think Tom Hardy. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who I've already asked another guest whether they were privately educated, so I don't mind revealing the answer there. So um, fascinating there. Yeah. The next one you said was Idris Elba. You said yeah, that Idris said Elba was state. state. Yeah, I did. On the I? basis that he's a man of the people. <laughs> I'm not going to leave this one down, am I? <laughs> uh, Idris Elba went to a state school. I got that right? Yeah, you went well, to state I'm school. I'm 100% yeah. so far. Can we yeah. stop there then? So I'm no, 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 we, stick have, to, with we have to keep going. Okay. Uh, the, next, <laughs> the next person is Helen Mirren, who you said yep. that you love. Yep. And you said that she was of a generation that you needed to go to a private school to get on, to get ahead. Yeah. I'm pleased to tell you that Helen Mirren went to a state school. Wow. Yeah. Oh, That's that surprising, is, yeah. isn't it? It is because I think when I, you know, when you watch things on the, you know, on Netflix or on the TV that were set when Helen Mirren was was young, mm. you, it, it follows that certain route, doesn't it? That that's you you have to be in a private school in order to get ahead in life. I mean, sadly, still the case today in many industries. Uh, but that that has surprised me. Love that. I love the surprises. This one, yeah. will, I mean. <laughs> Joanna Lumley. I like to give each guest like an easy one, just in case you don't yeah, get any points yeah. to it. I could have put some money on this one. <laughs> you could have put some money on this one. Maybe that's be the next thing. Uh, Joanna Lumley went to a private school. Yeah. I think she went to a pretty good one as well. Mm. I'm not sure which one it was. And she's done uh, very well. She has done very well for herself. Then, Tisha Wright. Yes, this, this was the hardest one for me. 
went to a state school. Yay! Yeah. Look yay. at that. Four out of five, you know. Four out of five. I don't know whether you, it was the yay for the state school, yay for the, the points, but you did very well there. Congratulations. Thank you. I will let Thank you know you. how you rank at the end of the series. Yes, please. Yes. Cool. All right, then. Saeed, we're coming towards the end of the episode. I'm sure you're very sad about that. Yeah, I could stay here all day. <laughs> just keep you here. Yeah. I'm just doing loads of episodes with you. <laughs> so the next question is for the benefit of our listeners. What advice would you give your younger self? I'm I'm going to steal Nike's uh, tagline. Just yeah. do it. Just <laughs> just that. You know, my piece of advice is to just do it. Just go and break things and make your way in the world. Try yeah. Don't live with any regrets. Um, I mean, these all sound very LinkedIn and Instagram quotes. Yeah, I I appreciate. <laughs> You'd that. get a lot of likes on LinkedIn for that. <laughs> <laughs> but just just do it. You know, just just go out there. Try and find what your purpose is, find what you're passionate about, and just go and, and do it. But please look after yourself whilst you're doing it. That's the biggest piece of advice I can give. And then the last question, which is a big one. I've put you in power. You now have the power to change things. What would you change about the UK education system? Oh, we might need all day. <laughs> um, what would I... It's not just one thing. It's just generally what I would change. Because I might just rattle off five very quick things. Go on, then. I'll give you five. Okay. Pay teachers more. Yeah. Have the system more inclusive. Make it mandatory to have children on the governing board of the school. Uh, get rid of exams. I think you just. I just think it's a very archaic That's way radical. Of, of measuring things. It's probably why I'm not in power so often. <laughs> um, <laughs> get, get rid of exams and just. And the final one is actually teach things that matter in the world, like financial education, things that build resilience, things that that really what you need in the world to get ahead. Uh, I think is really really important. Th those are my five quick fire things to shift the system a bit. Love that. That is that is radical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. The you pleasure are, is all mine. You are as golden as you were the first time we spoke. Thank you. If our listeners want to follow you and keep up with you, where can they find you? Just Google me. Just Google. Oh, such a boss answer, isn't it? <laughs> Just Google me. I've got an MBE. Just Google me. I love that. Okay, so if you want to keep up with Saeed, then just Google him. Saeed, thank you so much. Thank you. Hope you have a lovely day. Thank you. You too. <laughs>